Hello, campus. How are you? It's been an exciting morning already. Uh, we have uh, quite a bit of text, not quite a bit of text, a very exciting text to go through. So we are going to hit the ground running. My name is Tyler. If you guys missed me before, I'm the campus pastor here. Great privilege of serving Crossroads. Uh, every single week, we read from the Bible to get to better understand and know and follow Jesus. If you don't have a Bible with you, that's okay. We have some Bibles in the back. You can raise your hand and someone will go and bring you a Bible. If you don't have a Bible at all, we would encourage you take that home, read it every single day. Uh, but we are going to be in the passage of Ephesians, in case you didn't get that from the video, short video we just watched where it said Ephesians at the end. We're in the book of Ephesians. We've been here for quite some time. Sorry, I'm trying to like race through this front part because once we read the text, you'll understand why, because we're running short on time already. Book of Ephesians, written by the author Paul, who was previously Saul. And this is one of four prison epistles that he penned. Prison epistles are going to be Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Three of them written to specific cities, one of them written to a specific person being Philemon. He wrote these all while on house arrest in Rome. He was house arrest from anywhere from two to four years. And during that time, pastors and people would come and begin to almost use him like a counselor because when you're in prison, not like you can really go anywhere. So pastors would come from these cities and begin to tell Paul about what's happening in the cities that they pastor in. And from there, he would normally write a letter of encouragement or correction to give back to the pastor to send back to the city to keep doing the work of the ministry. So we're in Ephesians chapter five. Ephesians chapter five, we're gonna start in verses 15. Ephesians 5, verse 15. Uh, if you want to take notes, we do have some note paper back there as well. I know there are a couple small groups that are gathering. Uh, it's a great opportunity. You can even take notes on your phone, anything like that. Take notes. I can promise you there's going to be some things that you may have questions about after or want clarity. It's a great thing. Don't come talk to me. Go, go talk about it in your small group, and then, then I'd love to hear about it afterwards. Verses 15 starts like this. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Will you pray with me? Well, Jesus, we love you, and we thank you for this text. We thank you for this book that is used for our instruction and correcting, teaching and discipling. Lord, help us to submit to what the word of God says. Help us to follow it, not waver from it, not question it, but simply follow it as believers of Jesus. Lord, we love you. We thank you. Give us understanding. Uh, open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, our hearts to receive what it is you have for us out of this passage. Jesus, we submit to you in your spirit. We love you. We thank you. It's in your mighty name we pray. And everyone says, amen. Verses 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. It's interesting, if you just start from this, so if you weren't here last week, you're not going to have the context of what Paul was coming out of. It's important as we read verses 15, we also read it in the context of verse 14. This is what Paul says, for anything that becomes 
visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Verse 15, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Got any sleepwalkers in here? You don't have to raise your hand. Uh, I'm not a sleepwalker. Uh, sometimes it's embarrassing. But I used to have a neighbor kid uh, who did sleepwalk. Uh, he lived right across the street. And I can remember his mom telling me that, yeah, first sleepover, like, hey, you sleepwalk, so, like, don't be alarmed. Uh, and she told me this story of, yeah, he woke up one time, and uh, I hear a bunch of stirring in the kitchen, just walking around. And I was maybe, like, seven or eight at the time. And they have, like, a nice house, big hallway, a lot of natural light. And I can remember her saying, like, oh, yeah, like, one time I stumbled upon Brian, 2, 3 in the morning, and he's just standing at one of the trees in the house, like a little house plant. He's just standing there, naked, <laughs> peeing in the tree. <laughs> and she was like, Brian, what are you doing? And he was like, going to the bathroom. And then just walked back to his room, went to sleep. There was no reasoning. There, there's absolutely zero explanation. If you've ever seen or you yourself sleepwalk, you know, like, dude, when they're sleepwalking, you can't reason with them. You can't try and convince them, like, hey, Brian, that's a tree, not a toilet. And it'll be like, no, and then just right back to sleep. You, you can't reason with someone while they're sleepwalking. This is almost what Paul's saying. He's drawing the comparison between awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead. You were dead, but now you're not. And when you rise from the dead, Christ will shine on you. And when that happens, look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Once we have come to know Jesus, and we no longer live in the dark, but we have the light of Jesus on us, Paul then says, and now what you have to do? Walk carefully. Know what the next step is. Psalm 119 would tell us this, your word is a lamp unto my feet. It's not a spotlight. My wife always talks about it. It's not like this spotlight. It's not a street light that's illuminating the whole path. Listen, this was in the days when they would have oil and candles. It is a lamp unto my feet. It's maybe pitch black all around you. But what the word of the Lord is, is it's this lamp that tells you what is right in front of you. Is there an animal? Is there something dangerous? Is there something in the road? The word of God will help illuminate the light, a path unto your feet, but it will not show you everything. Because let's be honest, you would not be able to handle if the Lord said, hey, this is what the rest of your life is going to hold. Most of us would go, no, actually, I'll just take that one step. What's, what's that next step that I need to take? And the author of Psalm would say, your word is a lamp unto my feet. Look carefully how you walk as a follower of Jesus. Not as unwise, but as wise. Verses 16, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Recognize, look carefully how you walk. You're no longer dead. You're not a sleepwalker, but you are now alive in Christ. And now you need to look carefully how you walk, making the best use of the time. Someone in here just got convicted. That was, it was me. It was me. I won't make you do it. Making the best use of your time. Paul, Paul is an absolute genius, okay? He was a Jew. He was a Pharisee, very well educated, and also understood culture better than most people realize. And, and the way you know this is because of what he says in this passage. 
Uh, you, we miss it in English translations, but the original language, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. This word, the time, actually is translated in the original language, it was a word kairos. And kairos actually was synonymous with Greek mythology for opportunity. And, and in Greek mythology, there was actually a Greek god named Kairos, who was all about the god of opportunity. And the earliest depictions we have of Kairos, the god of opportunity, is a god who is bald with a ponytail on the front of his forehead. Now, you probably go like, that's pretty bizarre. Why would they put a ponytail on the front of his forehead? How many of you have ever missed an opportunity? And you know right away, as soon as it's passed, you're like, oh man, I missed that opportunity. And, and what they did in Greek mythology is they would a lot of times draw this out to help you better understand. Listen, as opportunity approaches, you are able to seize it. So the god of opportunity would have a ponytail on his forehead that as he approaches, you could seize the opportunity. But the moment that it's passed, there is no hair to grab onto as he's passed you. This is what Paul is saying, making the best use of the, op, the time, the opportunity, the kairos, seeing, recognizing, walking with intention and walking in the light. You will see the opportunities coming, but not only do you have to see them coming, but you have to seize every opportunity that you can. And what we're going to do with seizing this opportunity is ultimately help people come to know Jesus. That's what Paul is saying. Walk not as wise, but as unwise, making the best use of the time, because we have to recognize the days are evil all around us. Verses 17, he continues on. He says this, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Understand the will of God. I don't know. I'm sure many people are like, Dude, I can't wait for this one. Like, what is the will of God? Go on, Pastor Tyler. Tell us what the will of God is. I'm going to say, I don't know. I, I know what he's talking about here. And so often we'll read the Bible, and what we do is we read the Bible so that hopefully it will answer the questions that we have. And now listen, we all have questions, and that's not a wrong way to read your Bible. But if, that's, if you're reading with the, only the lens of, okay, what is it that the Lord, oh, okay, Lord, what is the will of you? Do you want me to leave this job and take this job? Make completely clear. Your text says I should understand what the will of the Lord is, so give me understanding. Should I do this? Should I date this person or this person? Should I marry this person or that? Should I go to this school or that school? What's the will of the Lord? Come on, Pastor Tyler, help us out. Tell us what the will of the Lord is. Listen, this is not the first time in Ephesians that Paul has alluded to something like this. In verses 10, chapter 5, verse 10, he actually says, do your best to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. I, I love that. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And we see just shortly after in verses 17, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Let me, I'll give you a couple pointers. If you have questions about what the will of the Lord is, first question I would ask is, uh, are you reading your Bible? Are you pursuing him in his word? As we've already read Psalm 119, the psalmist says, your word is a lamp unto my feet. 
discerning what the will of God is. Understand what it is for your life. And I would say, all right, there's a lot of questions that you may have about jobs, about spouses, about schooling, about education, about politics, about all of these other things. And I would go, are you opening your Bible? Are you reading your Bible? Are you coming to church regularly? This isn't a sales pitch for church. All right, this is about understanding what the will of God is for those who follow Jesus. Are you connecting with people throughout the week? Are you and your significant other or spouse or kids having conversations about what the Lord is doing? You want to understand the will of God? Listen, every single book in the Bible is going to give you invaluable wisdom and knowledge about what the will of God is. We're in a passage right now. What's the will of God? The will of God is not that we would remain sleeping, but we would wake up. We would walk with intention. We would seize every opportunity to make his name great, not ours. Because he says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. When we read our Bible, we begin to understand what the will of God is. And then we discover this person. We discover the role model. We discover the life that was lived by a man named Jesus, who for 33 years lived a blameless, spotless life. And we have four books in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that tell us about the life of this person, who not just was a man, but he was God in the flesh, setting the ultimate example that we would follow his steps, recognizing we will never fully be able to be like Jesus in this lifetime. But this lifetime is a great opportunity to begin to practice, to discipline ourselves for what we will be doing for all eternity. It's funny, if you read the book of Revelation, you, you read about this new heaven and new earth. And if you read in the book of Genesis, you read about the original creation that was good and everything was perfect and they spent community and relationship with God. And let me tell you what they did in the garden. They worked. Sorry to burst your bubble. If you're anything like me, working is not a bursting of the bubble. Like, endless praise is the burst. Like, that was terrifying as a kid. Like, what's heaven going to be like? I don't know. We're going to be worshiping all the time. And I was like, dude, I don't know. Four songs seems like good enough for me. <laughs> we really got to do it. Do we really got to do it for eternity? Uh, I don't know if you've heard some singers, but I hope I stand next to my wife when we're there and not someone else. Like, I could listen to her, but someone else, like, sorry for the guy next to me that's got to listen to me. Like, that doesn't sound like fun. And then we read in Genesis and Revelation that it's going to be a return back to the garden state. And the garden state was where Adam and Eve worked the ground in worship to God. Let me, let me just, I'll give you this one for free. What if your work now is actually helping you prepare for what you'll be doing for eternity? And that may not translate for everyone, but what if what you do now the discipline that you have, the practice, the education that you get, the interactions that you have with people, what if all of those things are getting you to a place where actually maybe you'll be doing that in heaven? I don't know. If it truly is a return back to the garden, if you're a farmer, listen, there's probably going to be food and things that we will need in the new heaven and the new earth. And the work will not be evil, it won't be toil, but it will be good work that will worship God. If you're an architect or an engineer or building houses or an IT person, I don't know, hopefully Wi-Fi never craps out in heaven. You might be out of a job, Jeff, I don't know. <laughs> Set it up and you're good to go. You're like, all right, all eternity, I'm done. No more calls. 
But what if what you do now, what if you lived your life seizing every opportunity with intention, recognizing, Lord, let me discipline and practice this, that I may praise you for all eternity. Let me not look back on my life where something like Sabbath was set up in Genesis. All throughout creation, people have struggled with what it means to Sabbath. But if it is a return back to the garden state, there will be six days of work. There will be one day of rest. That one day of rest is complete worship and sitting in the presence of God. How are you practicing that now? Are you working on that craft? Are you honing what it means to just sit before the Lord? Or are you too caught up with work, with family, with money, all of these other things? Listen, all of this is about walking with intention because we will be doing this again in the new heaven and the new earth. We follow the example of Jesus. Now we get to the exciting stuff. Verse 18. Uh, let me go from verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Um, let me start off by saying this. So I'm sure there, there may be some differing viewpoints in here. Um, almost every single Friday, uh, you'll probably find me at Cold Coast Brew for food truck Friday, okay? Now that is not saying that everyone should drink. There's also a lot of pastors I've met that have worn it as a badge of honor. Um, I would say almost as a badge of pride of alcohol has never once touched my lips. And I go, praise the Lord, if that's the conviction that you have, if there's a fear of maybe family history, if there's an unknown, then I would say, listen, for you to do what you know is wrong or for you to not do what you know is right would be sin. And there's been times in my life where I gave up alcohol for a season. I didn't know why, but it's like, okay, Lord, you, I don't know what it is. I can't quite put my finger on it, but it just seems like it's not now. I shouldn't be doing this, and therefore I don't. And I don't know what the Lord did during that time. And then there becomes the point where the conviction is like, it's fine, I can, have a, I can have a beer with my friends, we can talk about the things of the Lord, which most of the time is what, it's what's happening when I'm having a beer with someone or having a glass of bourbon is we're talking about the amazing things of what the Lord is doing. So let me just say that to start off, okay? Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. There's the, the idea of the spirit of drunkenness. Uh, there's a, an amazing book called uh, Talking to Strangers by a very good investigative journalist named Malcolm Gladwell. And he talks about this person that he interacted with. He's got a whole chapter on what it means and the, what alcohol will do to someone's system and how it will actually make them do things that they would not normally do or lack inhibition in making judgment calls. And what he talks about is this man from Chicago all right, man in Chicago starts drinking in the morning, 10 a.m., and he has a local pub, no big deal. And then all of a sudden, around 2 or 3 p.m., blacks out, doesn't know what's happening, and he wakes up in a hotel room in Vegas. He's clean-shaven, his suit's hung up in the closet, and he goes, I have no idea what happened. Goes downstairs, and they're like, oh, yeah, you checked in two days ago. He's like, two days ago? Uh, what is today? They're like, it's Saturday. Five days has no idea what happened. 
He, he blacked out drunk, drank too much, and five days later, he somehow managed to get out of his pub that he was at, uh, go to the airport, book a plane ticket to Vegas, continue to drink, clean shave, book hotels, put his suit up in the closet, all while he is lacking complete inhibition and control over his own body. Let me tell you, the Bible will discourage anything that takes you out of control to where you're no longer run by the Holy Spirit, but you're ran by something different. You're not able to make judgment calls. You're not able to disciple. You're not able to seize every opportunity, like Paul has already said. And this is where it gets tricky because the Bible will talk about wine. It will talk about strong drink, prescriptions, drugs. I don't know. If we say you should never drink, you should never do anything that is mind-altering, then suddenly we begin to go down this rabbit hole, which I will not tackle up here. But these are the things that I encourage you to discuss with family, discuss with friends, discuss with people who are further along with you to begin to determine what you believe is the will of God. Where does it stand on strong prescription medication? Where does the Bible stand on cannabis? What do you believe about it? What about alcohol? Why is it wrong? Why is it bad? Or why do you say it's fine, it's not a big deal? We're going to get into what it means to be drunk and how to determine this later. But I would encourage you to truly understand and begin to wrestle with personally what you believe the Lord is convicting you. I will tell you right now, there's the conviction of alcohol. It is a sin to be drunk. It is a sin to be under the spirit of of alcohol, where you lack inhibition, where you are not yourself, you're not able to make decisions. That is a sin. And we as a body of believers, regardless of your conviction of what it means to use substances, what we are to do as believers is to hold each other accountable to go, hey, that's not right. What you're doing there is not right. Not to hold our own personal convictions and say, I believe that's a sin. You took Advil, sinner evil person. Listen, it's not about, it, this is about what the Bible makes clear. Being drunk with wine, it doesn't lead to debauchery. Paul says that is debauchery. To be drunk with wine or spirits, to be out of your mind and not in the spirit of God is debauchery and a sin. And he says what you should do instead, be filled with the spirit. Now, Oftentimes, what would happen in a city like Ephesus, this was actually they would be drunk with wine in worship to God, and then they would go and do immoral things sexually with people. And it was all about getting you out of a state of, of having any understanding or any ambition of what's going on to where you're completely reckless, you don't care, so that then you can go and worship with sexual acts. That's what Paul's tackling sometimes here. Thank the Lord that's not how society is today always, but I'll tell you, if you read the horror stories of alcohol and what happens on college campuses and all of these things, it is complete debauchery. Be filled with the Spirit. What Paul's saying here is abound. This isn't a one-time thing where it's like, oh, I was filled with the Holy Spirit at this time. It's like, okay, what about today? Like, be filled with the Spirit. Literally, it's the same word that he uses when he tells the, the disciples to cast your nets over to the other side and the fish are overflowing and they literally have to cram the fish in the nets because there's so many fish. 
It's overflowing. It's almost literally means to cram in, to fit in as much as possible. Don't be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And this filling is an active verb that is saying continually be filled with the Spirit. Always pursue what the will of God is in your life. Pray that he would fill you daily to tackle what it is that you have in front of you, to seize every single opportunity that he has. It goes on on verse 19. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. What we have to do is start singing songs to each other. Disney movie. We're in a musical now. Musicals are my absolute. I hate musicals so bad. Um, I can't stand them. I remember I was like, what is it? Musical and what's the other one? Opera? Is that the one that I got stumped on? Yeah. Les Mes or Les Miserables. Um, I, I was like, oh, it's a musical. Like, okay. First scene opens up and they're singing right away. And I was like, that's strange. <laughs> like, they could just say that. About five minutes, ten minutes in, I look over to my wife. I was like, so when do they talk? She's like, oh, babe, this isn't a musical. This is opera. I was like, so they, what's that mean? She's like, they don't talk at all. All they do is sing. I was like, this is horrible. <laughs> Get me out of here. Uh, this is not what Paul is saying. Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. This is truly joyfulness that exudes from the life of a believer. And, and not just joyfulness, but let me challenge you. Uh, and this is a challenge for myself. As followers of Jesus, we are called to be people of substance and creativity. It's, it's maddening to me sometimes and, and this is, again, this is a conviction for me. The most creative people are the secular people. The people pushing boundaries are people that are not filled with the Holy Spirit. The people writing the best music are writing music that is about horrible things. And yet we go like, oh, that's so nice. As, as followers of Jesus, we're called to be intensely creative, all in worship to God. And I'll tell you right now, there's a difference between authentic genuine creativity and then just appeasing culture and if you turn on the radio i promise you most of us here will probably be able to tell the difference there's something unique and special when you hear like the guy that just came out literally recorded something on his android and now he's the number one selling like all the billboards because there was something you can't even put your finger on it it's not that he's trained vocally Sometimes he's off pitch, sometimes it's a little raspy, but there is something raw, genuine, and authentic about this guy that wrote this song that resonates with people when it's like, oh man, I, I, I feel like I understand a little bit of that. How much more should it be for a, a follower of Jesus that let me tell you about the most creative person. Let me tell you about the person that actually authored life let me tell you about the person that created everything that we have. Listen, I challenge you, be creative. And don't be creative for society and for culture and for recognition, but be creative in worship to the Lord. Don't hide creativity. Don't hide being a person of substance, but pursue your creativity in worship 
to God. Paul says, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, making melody to the Lord with your heart. Live a life of joyfulness and put that on display for all to see. Giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't just be joyful, be thankful. Sometimes the best way for us to be thankful is if we get lost in a vacuum, we, we don't understand what's happening in other people's lives. We don't understand what's happening in the world around us. I would encourage you, if you don't have friends that you often gather with who follow Jesus, that should be something that you regularly do. That's a key part of what we do as a church is we should be gathering, seeing each other, asking each other how we're doing, living a life not just of joyfulness, but of thankfulness, giving thanks always and for everything. As a follower of Jesus, what we need to do, and this is not the thing where it's like, you know, that false humility thing, which I'm sure everyone in here has experienced someone in the church where it's this just super passive, unrelational thing where it's like, well, you just got to pray to the Lord, right? And it's like, man, I hate you right now. Like, thanks for that. You know, when they, when they tell you something so ungenuine, it's, it's this like, well, sucks to suck. Like, you know, that's what, it, that's what I hear. It's like, oh man, bummer for you. Like, well, you better do this. Whereas when we're truly in each other's lives, when we're pointing to Jesus, saying for anything and everything, we're going to give thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of Jesus. We woke up and we breathed. Oh, we got to come to church, sing praises to the Lord, witness kids being dedicated to the Lord. As a body, we get to walk with these families and say, let us help you. Let us encourage you. I'll hold your baby for you. Go get into church. This is about being grateful, thankful, joyful. And then Paul ends it this way, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This begins the long passage of chapter 5 and the rest of verse 6 about submission within families, children, workplace. But he starts off by saying, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We're supposed to be a people of joy, supposed to be a people of thankfulness and gratitude, and we're called to be a people of lowliness. And let me tell you what I mean, what I mean by that. The only passage that we have that truly describes the heart of Jesus comes from Matthew. It's Matthew chapter 11, verse 29. This is what it says. It's a famous passage. Matthew 11, where we understand and hear from the author what is the heart of Jesus. Verse 28, he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart for my yoke is easy and my burden is light for I am gentle and lowly in heart remember when Paul earlier had said and do your best to know what the will of the Lord is for your life this is one of those passages what's the will of the Lord for your life that you would learn from Jesus to be like Jesus. And the heart of our sacrificed Savior is that he is gentle and lowly in heart. 
we take this posture of lowliness, not in false humility, not of like, oh, let me be the chief servant of everyone. And then when you don't get the recognition, you're like, what the heck, dude? You know, I see I took the trash out. That, that's not lowliness. That's false humility. What it is is a serving of everyone around you, modeling joyfulness, thankfulness, and lowliness. Not seeking what's best for you, but seeking what's best for everyone around you. Truly what this is, this is to yield to an admonishment or correction from someone else. How many of you have been to a church picnic before? Any church picnickers in here? Picnickers? No, most of you probably were like, heck no, I'm not going to the church picnic because there's going to be those people that I really don't want to sit at the table with. Like it's bad enough having to sit in the same church as them, let alone sit at the same table. Man, imagine the conversation and what's going to happen. I don't want to put myself in the position where I'm going to have to interact with that person and potentially have to deal with the difficult personality that they have. That's no one in here, by the way. No one in here. Um, but that is the essence of a church picnic. It's like, oh, let's all get together. And you're like, dude, I don't know. I don't really like that person. <laughs> don't know if I want to talk to that person. What if they come up to me and start talking to me? A yielding to an admonishment or advice. Uh, let me just tell you this. Community going to that church picnic, going to that person's house or that small group where you go, this might be difficult, this might be hard. If Jesus is gentle and lowly in heart and he says, learn from me for I'm gentle and lowly in heart. To be like Jesus, you should go to those things. Not so that you check it off the box, but remember where I said it's actually practice and disciplining yourself for what all eternity will be like? Lord, let me surround myself with people that at first glance I might go, man, that's going to be hard. I don't know if I'm going to enjoy that. Oh, what, where, where's the conversation going to go? If we take the posture of lowliness, then we treat every single opportunity, we seize it to say, let me be more like Jesus. Let me pursue Jesus at all costs. And in that, when we get to interact with the family of God, it should not be a burden. It should not be a fear. But it is a joy that we treat every opportunity thankful to God for the family that he's given, the church that he's given us, the community that he's given us, where we take a posture of lowliness, interacting, being with, and encouraging one another. My hope and prayer is as a church, it is not a burden to interact with one another. It is not a burden to interact with the family of God, but we should take a posture of lowliness, yielding to the admonishment and correction of others, saying, let me be gentle and lowly in heart, seizing every opportunity to model and make Jesus great. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you so much for this text. We thank you for the convicting aspect that I even have of my own life. Lord, let me be someone who always is excited, seizing every opportunity, not being selfish, but truly being gentle and lowly in heart, just like the heart of Jesus was and is. That he would be patient with me, that he would die on a cross for me, 
Lord, what an amazing model that you have set out for us in the life of Jesus. Let us be a people that reads our Bible, that gathers together so that we can be more like Jesus, making him great in our homes, in our workplaces, and in our community. Lord, we love you. We thank you. It's in your mighty name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Can we give Jesus one last hand clap of praise?